Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, Orkut, Google's Buzz, Apple's Ping, and so many other social websites are examples of websites that try to help us keep relationships. In the last few years, our relationships have extended wider and wider. I've got relationships, two in my workplaces, with my wife's family, with my family, with my small group, with the church family, and online relationships. The more we relate to each other, the smaller our world gets. And the more we relate to each other, the more chance we have of annoying each other and getting annoyed by each other. About 100 years ago, the only people that you could really annoy were people who stayed around you or somebody who got your letter two months later. But now, we can get hurt and hurt people easier than before. One of the bases of a healthy relationship is the expression of love in forgiveness, and that's my topic for this morning. Turn your Bible, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, in the first half of the sermon, I will talk of what forgiveness is not. I realize that we have a lot of misconceptions about forgiveness and that precludes us from forgiving the way we are supposed to forgive. And so in the first half of the sermon, we will look at what forgiveness is not. And the second half of the sermon, we will look at some consequences if we don't forgive, and then I will give an opportunity for all of us to forgive. The first thing that forgiveness is not, it is not ignoring. Forgiveness is not ignoring the offense or excusing the offender. I am not talking of minor annoyances that we all give each other simply because we have individual personalities. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking of deliberate attempts to hurt, deliberate attempts to harass people. Forgiveness is not about excusing those deliberate hurts. You cannot forgive what you have already excused. C.S. Lewis says in Fern Seeds and Elephants, if one was really not to blame, then there is nothing to forgive. In that sense, forgiveness and excusing are almost opposite. You can't forgive what you have excused. Excusing an offense and excusing the offender cheapens forgiveness, and forgiveness is never cheap. It costs God his son to forgive us. It's free for us, but it was costly for God. Forgiveness is always costly for the person who forgives. It's free for the recipient of forgiveness but for the person who forgives man or God, it is costly. And so I'm not suggesting that we excuse offenses because forgiveness does not ignore. The second thing that forgiveness is not is trusting. Forgiveness is not trusting. I'm not saying that we should not trust. I'm saying that forgiveness is a different entity than trusting. I can forgive and not trust again. Sir, what's your name? Sean. Sean, okay. Let's say that I want to start a business with Sean. What kind of business would you like to start? Anything. Oil business. Okay, oh, that's a great business. That's a great business. 
Let's say that Sean and I are starting an oil business. Okay? He puts in a million dollars, I put in $10,000, and we start this oil business. <laughs> That's a fair deal. Um, and let's assume that he cheated me of my $10,000. Now, since I'm new to Kansas City, I don't know anybody here. I don't know who to go to, and so I just let it go. Now, I may forgive him for cheating me of $10,000, but I will never start a business with him again because I don't trust him. So I can forgive him, but I'm not going to trust him. You can pay back the $10,000 anytime. It's okay. <laughs> In the verse that I'm going to give right now, it's a story about how Jesus, when he forgave, he also reinstated the person that he forgave. Peter had denied Jesus three times, and after Jesus died and rose again, and came and met Peter and forgave him, he trusted him, he reinstated him, he restored him to his prior position. I'm not saying again that we should not trust. All I'm saying is that forgiveness is different than trust. The third thing that forgiveness is not is reconciliation. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. And the reason for this is reconciliation involves two people. Forgiveness involves one person. If I need to reconcile with somebody, I need to go out and meet with them and reconcile with them. But if I need to forgive somebody, I can stand right here in my own room and forgive somebody without even involving the other person. When I offend somebody, when I hurt somebody, I need to reconcile. If somebody hurts me, I need to forgive. Again, I am not saying that we should not reconcile. All I'm saying is that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Let's read a verse. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, in today's language it will mean, therefore, if you are coming for the 10 o'clock service, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. It doesn't say, okay, since you came here anyway, let's go in and pray and ask God to reconcile. No. Stop. Go. Reconcile. Then come back. Reconciliation involves two people. Forgiveness involves just one person. Let's look at one more verse. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus did not reconcile with his killers. He forgave them because that is a unilateral action. It is a monologue, whereas reconciliation is a dialogue. Jesus reconciled with the second thief on the cross, but he forgave those who killed him. So forgiveness is not ignoring the problem or the offender. Forgiveness is not Trusting forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness, fourthly, is not resolution. We can focus on forgiving and reconciliation without resolution. In Genesis chapter 14, there is a story of Abraham and his nephew Lot. Let me just give you the background of the story. They both started out on this journey together and all was fine and dandy and then on the way they found out it wasn't fine and dandy and so they realized that we need to part ways. So Abraham told his nephew, you know, 
you've got so many servants and herds and whatnots. You can go your way and I'll go my way. So Lot chose the grass which was greener on the other side and he went one direction and Abraham went the exact opposite direction. In Genesis chapter 14, you find that some kings came over and conquered the place where Lot was staying and captured him and his family and took them away. What did Abraham do? He went with his people, went and recaptured Lot and his family and basically rescued them and set him free. After that, Lot went back to where he was. Abraham went back to where he was. Their issues were not resolved. But Abraham reconciled and forgave. My point is that we can forgive without resolution. We don't need to see eye to eye on every single point. My wife and I have been married for seven years. But there are some issues that we see differently on. When that issue comes up in conversation, she sees it one way, and I see it the exact opposite way. Obviously, she's right. I've got to say that because she's attending the service, so I've got to say that. Whenever that conversation comes up, we are going to see differently. But that doesn't mean that we wake up every morning and we fight and we don't forgive. We can get up every morning and live normal lives. We can reconcile and forgive without seeing the same way on that particular issue. So forgiveness does not mean that you have resolved the issue. The fifth thing that forgiveness is not, it is not forgetting. I've been told many times that if you really forgave, you would forget. But how am I going to forget? What is the biblical meaning of forget? Let's read a couple of verses. It's up on the slide. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. God is speaking. He says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Hebrews 10, 17. Then God adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. What does it mean when it says that God forgets? Can I really forget something? Medically, I can't forget it because... Our brains are capable, we use them, to record 800 memories per second. And that is 2 trillion memories over a period of 75 years. How can I forget? In 2007, I worked in New Orleans for about a year. The first four months of my stay there was the most miserable period of my life. I had this guy who was my boss who made life miserable for me. How can I forget it? The more we have been hurt, the less the chance of forgetting it. So what does the Bible say when it says that we need to forget? It's in a different context, but the Sheffield, UK-based music band Def Leppard, in their song Long, Long Way to Go from the album X, says, memory has no hiding place. Memory has no hiding place. If we have a deep-seated hurt, caused by somebody, we are not going to forget it. So then what does the Bible mean when it says that, that God forgets and that we need to forget? As I thought about it, I realized that there are two kinds of forgetfulness. Now, these are terms that I made up, so go along with me here. There is an active forgetfulness and a passive forgetfulness. Let's say that I'm making Chinese food for dinner this evening, and I'm supposed to go to Walmart and buy stuff. And I go buy the veggies, 
and the lemongrass and this and that. And I get home, and then I realize that I forgot to buy noodles. Now, it's not that I wanted to forget to buy noodles. It slipped my mind. That is a passive forgetfulness. It slipped my mind. And therefore, I forgot. Now, that kind of forgetfulness is not going to happen when we are trying to forgive somebody. It's not going to slip my mind. I'm never going to forget the four miserable months that I had in New Orleans. And if somebody has hurt you in the past, you're never going to forget it. You are not going to passively forget it. So then we come to the issue of active forgetfulness. There is no active forgetfulness, really. It's like saying that I'm trying to sleep. You can't try to sleep. To try to sleep, you must not try to sleep, and that's when you'll sleep. The more you try to sleep, the less the odds of you sleeping, and then you turn and toss trying to sleep and worrying that you're not sleeping. The best way to sleep is to not think about sleep, and then you drift away to sleep. Isn't it? When we have to forget something, if I'm actively trying to forget something, I'm not going to forget it because the more I try to forget it, the more I'm thinking about it. And the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm remembering it and the less I'm forgetting it. So then what does it mean when it says that God forgot it? Does it mean that in God's infinite brain, it just there's a blank spot? Not really. What it means is that God chooses to let go. He has not passively forgotten it because he's God and he's got those memories. But he actively chooses to let go. And that's what forgiveness is. So when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, if he wants, he can see all the sins that we ever did. But he chooses to let go and not remember our sins anymore. We looked at what forgiveness is not, and let's create a definition of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the unconditional, unilateral, immediate letting go of an offense without ever bringing it up before yourself, the offender, or God. Forgiveness is the unconditional, unilateral, immediate letting go of an offense without ever bringing the offense up before yourself, the offender, or God. I say immediate because if we don't let the offense go immediately, we will face some consequences. And we will look at three consequences of not forgiving. The first consequence is damaged relationships. In the first text that we read this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. In verse 31, you see the effect of not forgiving. There is bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, and malice. I can guarantee you that if we have not forgiven someone and we have these vices in us, it is going to spill over into our other relationships. If anybody has relationship issues, and you're struggling with relationship issues, you may want to delve back into the far recesses of your mind and see if there's somebody that you haven't forgiven. 
It may just be that these vices are coming up and influencing your current relationships. The second consequence of not forgiving is agony, is agony. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 18. And our verse is verse 35. Matthew 18 and verse 35. And before I read verse 35, let me just tell you the context of that story. Peter came to Jesus and said, Master, how many times should I forgive my brother? Now, according to Jewish law, you've got to forgive somebody three times. It's like three strikes and you're out. But Peter, when he came to Jesus, said, um, Master, I've forgiven my brother who's been bugging me seven times. So he multiplied three times by two and added one for good measure. And he told Jesus, I've forgiven him seven times. Is that good enough? Jesus says, you know, that's not good enough. It's supposed to be 70 times seven. Now, obviously, it does not mean 490 times, except that if you actually forgave somebody 490 times for the same offense, you might as well make it infinite because that's what Jesus meant. So then Jesus tells a story of a master who had servants and he loaned money out to these servants and he called these servants in to get the money back. So the first servant owed $10,000 or 10,000 talents, $10,000 to the master. And so the master calls him in and says, you got to pay me the money. And if not, I will put you in jail. The servant says, you know, master, I can't do it. Please give me some more time. And what did the master do? Did he extend time? Let's read the verse. In verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. He didn't extend time, which is what the servant asked for. But he canceled. He said, you know, 10,000 talents, $10,000 canceled. I'm not going to go into the comparison between that and how we are before God. And that if God had not really canceled our debt, we would never be able to pay it back, even if God extended the time to pay it back by a million years. He canceled it. And that's what the master did. And so then after that, the servant goes out and catches another of his servant who owes him a few pennies and says, you got to pay me the pennies. And the second servant says, oh, no, I can't do that. And so please, please let me go. But the second servant uh, is put into jail unless he can pay back everything. And so the master calls back the first guy and says, I forgave you. Why didn't you forgive your servant? And then we come to our verse, verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother. How? How? How is God going to treat us if we don't forgive our brother from our heart? Let's read the verse before. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. This is how. I looked at the same word in different contexts. Matthew 8, 6 says it means great agony. Luke 16, 23, 24 says it means 
great pain, great agony, and 2 Peter 2.8 says, in torment. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat you if you don't forgive. Agony. I'm not saying that it's the judgment fire of hell. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the bitterness, the anger, rage, malice, slander within your own soul will gnaw at your soul and make you miserable and cause you agony. The third consequence of not forgiving is unforgiveness. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to a very famous passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. And let me read it quickly, Matthew 6, 9 through 15. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then as Jesus was saying this prayer, he noticed that his disciples were kind of rolling their eyes at some point during the prayer. And so he goes ahead to explain it a little more. And verse 14 says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Charles Williams has said this of the Lord's Prayer, There is no word in the English language that carries a greater possibility of terror than the little word as in that clause. C.S. Lewis said, in mere Christianity, there, right in the middle of it, I find, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. There is no slightest suggestion that we are offered forgiveness on any other terms. It is made perfectly clear that if we do not forgive, we shall not be forgiven. Which means that God is going to discipline us since the last time we forgave somebody. God is going to discipline us for every sin that we did since the last time we forgave somebody. For some people, that may be five days. For some others, it may be 30 years. That may be one of the agonies that we just read about. The consequences of unforgiven sin. Every sin from the last time we forgave has backed up. It's not been forgiven. And it's not going to be forgiven unless we forgive. I'm going to give us the opportunity to forgive. But first, let me tell you a story. In 1965, God called Graham Staines, a quiet, intense, and prayerful young man from Queensland, Australia, to serve him in India. He came to India and started a leprosy home called the Mayurbanj Leprosy Home, and he looked after social outcasts. In 1981, he got married to Gladys in Queensland, Australia, and they both came back to India, and they continued the work at the leprosy home, and God blessed them with three children. On January 22, 1999, Graham and his two sons, I think they were 8 and 12 years old, they went to a village called Manoharpur, where they had a jungle camp. It was an annual jungle camp, and they went there. After the camp was done, they went into their station wagon because it was cold outside. They went into their station wagon, they wrapped themselves up, and they slept. At about 11 p.m. that night, a man by the name of Dara Singh, who was a known convict for crimes against minorities, marched with his mob to that area, and their target was a station wagon. 
They came to the station wagon with sticks and tridents. They broke the windows. They deflated the tires. They went in and they beat up the three people. They pierced them with the tridents. He put straw underneath their station wagon and burnt it up. And they stood back and watched, the three of them being roasted alive. A murder which the then president of India, K.R. Narayanan, referred to as that which belongs to the world's inventory of black deeds. At the funeral, Gladys and Esther and the lepers of the Mayurbanj leprosy home sat around the bodies, and in the local Sainthali language they sang, there is not a friend like the lowly Jesus, no, not one, no, not one. None else could heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. There is not an hour that he is not near us. No nights so are dark, but his love can cheer us. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And Gladys Dane stood up and said this. I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter, neither am I angry. I can forgive the killer's deeds but only God can forgive their sins. My prayer is that they ask God to forgive their sins. Maybe nobody in your family got burnt, but maybe you've been hurt in the past. And I'm going to ask those who want to forgive to stand up, and we will forgive. Remember, it is a unilateral action. It is a unilateral, unconditional, immediate action. It is a letting go of an offense without ever bringing it up before God, yourself, and the offender. So there's anybody here who wants to forgive. You can stand up. This is what we're going to do. I will pray for you first because it is impossible to forgive. It is impossible to forgive. It is not a human thing to forgive. Then after that, you will pray forgiveness for the offender before God. Remember, it's a unilateral action. Pray forgiveness. Then you will pray blessing for the offender. And let me tell you, when you try to pray blessing for somebody who's hurt you deeply, your entire being will rise up in opposition. But that's the best way to forgive somebody. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you, right? And then I want us to pray for our past sins. Pray forgiveness for our past sins, which have been backlogged for years. If you want to do it symbolically, there is a blank sheet of paper in your handout. You can write the name in it, tear it up. There is a box outside which you can put it in symbolically saying that it's done and I'm never going to bring it up again. I beg you to let it go. I beg you. Let it go. Lord Jesus, I pray for these people who are standing up. I pray that you would give them the strength to do what is humanly impossible. But what you have shown us without any condition, I pray that you would help them to forgive. Help us to forgive like you forgave.